with insight from RNZ. I'm Philip Atoli and this program looks at One Marae's efforts to help the homeless. Tapuia Memorial Marae in South Auckland has closed its doors to homeless people after three months ending its groundbreaking Manaki Tangata or Caring for the People program. Since May the 25th it's given food and shelter to nearly 200 people who are living in cars, tents, under bridges, in garages and overcrowded houses, putting the spotlight on the emergency housing crisis. Sometimes it had to turn people away. This insight explores the success of its efforts, the stories of desperate families who came to Tapuia, and the volunteers who put their own lives on hold to help them, and how the government has handled the crisis. In behind Auckland's southwestern motorway, the marae that has become the beacon for Auckland's homeless people is marking the end of its Manaki Tangata program. In those three months, a 16-year-old girl with cancer, an 11-year-old living in a van with her siblings and parents, and a father who walked 11 kilometres carrying his baby to get to a safe place, all became the new faces of the crisis. This creeped up on us. There's a strata of the community that popped its head up. No one liked it because it was ugly. These were mums and dads and kids. To many, the marae was showing a commitment and passion for homeless people ignored by the government. Well, I certainly wouldn't call it a crisis. You know, I think that we've always had people in need. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and this insight will explore the Marae's Manaki Tangata, what it achieved, whether it will become a model for future programmes, and the government's role in helping the homeless. Andrew Allen is back at Tapuia with his partner and five children, celebrating their new life thanks to the Marae. Three months ago, seven of them were crammed into two cars, moving from car park to car park, washing in public toilets, going to school and work. It was a nightmare, really. Um, uncomfortable for my kids. The space was pretty much stuffed all, really. Um, it was a bit cold at night sometimes. Especially at night time, we had to go to the public toilet just to use the toilet a little bit. Did you ever think you'd find yourself in a situation like this? Not really. Yeah, I think it's just because the rent was a bit too high. The jobs that we had was just um, probably just enough to cover for the rent, or not even that sometimes. Sometimes we couldn't even afford food. Their home became a small portable cabin, part of the tiny temporary village set up behind the marae. Tonight they're back, greeting and hugging whānau and volunteers at a ceremony to mark the end of Manaki Tangata. I feel happy, relieved that... The Marae has given us what we wanted, and, and, and it's pretty sad that they're closing. But uh, hopefully, in the near future, they open up to some more homeless people and help out. Them. But once they do that, hopefully, I'll be back to come and help out as well. So. The Allen family is among more than 100 children and 80 adults who have been given shelter, food and a new start by the Mangari Marae. Uri Moana Dennis is the chairman and the voice of the Marae. When they arrived here, they are all on the wrong pathway. 
So we've grabbed them, uh, given them a little bit of a, a wash and a shake-up, if you like. We've put them in the next step of their life, uh, and now they're moving forward. For a short while, their lives have been centred on a cluster of buildings on a lane dubbed Tumanako Way. Tumanako Way was a, a lane of every type of walkway they come to. One morning I just came, to, just got up, had a shower, got ready to come and do our work, and then we see a sign up here getting ready to be um, blessed from our kaumato, Uncle Jim. John Boy Kukutai has lived at the Marae for five years and is one of the core group running Manaki Tangata. Standing under the laneway sign, he points out the services, including the government agencies like Work and Income and Housing New Zealand that have moved into makeshift offices. So you've got the social service team, you've got the accommodation team, you've got the clothing, you've got the food, and so you've got the cooking team as well, and also our Marae admin team. So to me, in between there, there's also uh, walks of life. For me, that's what Tumanako is. At the end of Tumanako Way is the building that houses the donations. As the support programme winds up, volunteers have been filling boxes with food, toiletries and clothing for Fano, who were given shelter at Tipuia and have since moved on to their accommodation. Molly Andrew turned up on day one to help. And I came in and I asked and she goes, yeah, you can help, you can be the lady of the clothing and that's how, how we have how I started here. And uh, like some of the kids, they're calling us nannies and yeah, and we just go, oh, hello. What do we have from a bar of soap, toilet, paper, uh, band-aid, tissues? Mary Kahikomeni is in charge of handing out toiletries. We even made a little shelf up here, a gift shelf, so that there may be some of the lawakori that might have a birthday, then we'd give them a yeah, give them a gift on their birthday if they were here. Um, right down to every little basic need that the Rawakuri weren't getting out there. Yeah. Like what kind of things? Um, well, there were a lot of kōrero about um, how um, they couldn't even really afford to buy sanitary pads or have sanitary pads because um, they were using, like, a newspaper, and that's sad, you know, yeah. She cries at the thought that it's over. It's just been so beautiful being here. Like, um, in the beginning, there was a Somalian couple that were here, and their two children didn't go to school. They hadn't been to a early childcare. They started across the road at the Koanga Rio, and they were only here for about three days, and they cried because they didn't want to leave. Look at me, I'm being a soke. <laughs> <laughs> You yeah, I get out something it. out of it. Oh, yeah, it's just so lifting the weight or the spirit. Just, yeah, so awesome. What's this place anyway? What do you call it? Oh, we call it Pack and Save. <laughs> <laughs> it's Pack and Save. We've just about got everything that you would buy in a normal shop. When George Marshall isn't working at his full-time job with people with disabilities, he's been at the Marae sorting through the hundreds of cans and packets of food. They call the gifts that have come in from around the country aroha. And th these are things that people have donated oh, to you? Oh, absolutely. Throughout the start of this whole project, the food has just been, oh, there's just heaps of it. We also have a container out on the road that's full of food. He says Manaki Tangata has opened his eyes. I was actually blind to the whole homeless thing until I came here to volunteer. And then I realised, oh, those fellas that I've seen parked up on, at night time, 
they'd had no homes to go to. And that's how blind I was to the whole thing till I started here. Yeah. And now I'm starting to realise, are those people all right? And I'll go knock on the, knock on the car window, are you all right? Revelations over the extent of homelessness have been an eye-opener for George Marshall, shocked ordinary New Zealanders and caught politicians off guard. Tapuia opened its doors as agencies like the Salvation Army and the Mangari Budget Service were warning the government that it could not continue to ignore the growing numbers of people forced to live in cars, shipping containers and garages. It touched the raw nerve of this country. Uh, no one, no families, no kids uh, should be sleeping in their cars or in circumstances that you and I wouldn't be using and this is not... Um, something that happens in 2016 in our country anyway. Huri Moana Dennis says everyone got caught short. Look, you're always going to have homeless. You've got the rough sleepers in town, and uh, look, that's a situation that's been there for a million years almost. Those issues are substance abuse and mental health issues. They are not mums and dads and kids. There's a complete difference. 16 cars we're giving quite a few of the families in here, a few young ones, a couple of old people sleeping in cars. The crisis is highlighted in Marae worker John Boy Kukutai's video of homeless people parked in their cars in a South Auckland car park one cold winter night. A bit emotional, we seeing our own, our own Māori people uh, sleeping in their cars. It's pretty cold out here. And you think how they're living. Um, in a squash car, you and the family, um, mother and father, a couple of kids in a car, um, too embarrassed or too, too shy to come to the marae to stay. So we just gave them a few, um, a few kai, um, a few bottles of drinks. The response to Tepuia was overwhelming. About 1,200 volunteers came through the gates to clean, stack and cook for up to 200 people a day. Others came to donate food and clothing. Schools ran fundraisers and a concert was held. And hundreds turned up to sleep in their cars for Park Up for Homes protests. And I said to my partner, we've got to do this and get behind this because the homelessness is just, it's crazy and no one's doing anything about it. So we thought we'd come and help make some noise and get the government to give it some attention and something that they can't ignore. The generosity from people and local businesses, regional businesses, national business, has just been unreal. Marae Treasurer Jenny Nuku handles the program's finances. One time 700 gram of salt. She has a stack of exercise books with a written record of every item donated, including 20,000 cans of food. Three times 410 grams of budget peaches, six times 420 grams of oak baked beans and six times 420 grams of what he speaks. She says the program would have cost 200,000 to run over three months if people were paid to do the work. Tapuia's expenses have amounted to about $90,000 and covered items such as hiring of cabins, compliance and consent costs, utility bills and medical expenses for families. 
Have you got the papers for that? Yeah, I have got the receipt. I'll give them a ring, eh? But the marae estimates it will have about $60,000 left over. And at its closing ceremony, it gave $10,000 cheques to four other agencies helping homeless people after donations poured in from around the world. She says in the first week, $30,000 were donated, and to date its Give a Little campaign has raised about 100000 We were breathless, shocked, actually shocked. Who was donated? We had as far as Europe, England, Australia. It wasn't just New Zealanders and Australia. Yes, money that's gone to the Give a Little page. The interest has just been too far and wide that, you know, I couldn't even name every country, whether it's New Zealanders in country, the India population here. They've been coming, and all brand new gifts, clothing, food. The government has played down the issue. The Housing Minister Nick Smith blamed record population growth in Auckland for putting pressure on the bottom end of the housing market. The Social Housing Minister Paula Bennett said there was no crisis. Well, I certainly wouldn't call it a crisis. You know, I think that we've always had people in need. Um, so the other uh, night on TV, I heard the homeless story was, you know, sort of second in, and then the seventh story was a man who'd been 30 years living on the street. So that's decades. But the marae was overwhelmed by the numbers who turned up for a bed and a roof and those who arrived to help. Among those given shelter were a two-week-old baby and her parents and a family with six children living in a van. Another who touched people's hearts was a 16-year-old cancer patient, B. Up to 30 volunteers gathered in the Whadenui at Te Puya to farewell B, a karakira and a hymn to bless her family. One by one, everyone lined up to give B and her brothers a final hug. Some cried as they hugged her, knowing their hard work had paid off, and B was heading to a lovely new home. Big thank you to everyone at Tupuya Marae for everything they've done to help us out. We're truly grateful and yeah, we'll never forget. But some were turned away, and not every family left Tupuya together. John Boy Kukutai says it has been a difficult journey for the marae. You know, we've had to let people go. We had to have tell parents that um, your kids are not good under your care. Why have you had to leave? Well, at the end of the day, when they come under the um, under a marae, you know, you've got a structure of tikanga, you've got respect as foremost. Um, a lot of these people weren't doing that. So um, the management team had to tell them, well, if you can't um, go under the mana of our marae, then uh, the gate. Nine people were told to leave and others were turned back by security at the front door. Jenny Nuku says marae leaders had to be tough to protect the children. We were getting substance abuse, mainly single people, but we had in place suitable places that they could be placed. We also had uh, domestic violence families. So we had other social services from either Salvation Army, Women's Refuge, bring their clients here. And because we have many families here, we could not have that, well, the risk of some angry person coming looking for their wife and family, and we got families here that um, they felt safe here. For Huri Moana Dennis, one whānau will stay in his memory. They came as a family and they all left separately. 
but everyone in their family was so vulnerable, it was too big for us. Uh, they were dangerous. Um, the kids were vulnerable. Uh, the leaders of their family had no idea where they were going, what they were doing. Um, the best thing that could have happened is that they arrived here and we saw that and we, we moved on it pretty quickly. And what's happened to them now? The boys are fine, you know, they're in uh, SIPS care. The parents, uh, you know, they're still sort of wandering in the wilderness. They need big help with drug and substance abuse. The government's handling of the crisis has been widely criticised. Opposition politicians have called it incompetent and demanded resignations. Emergency housing providers and social workers say it is a sign of a broken system. The former Children's Commissioner accused the government of failing to meet its United Nations obligations. Russell Wills says the government is failing to meet the obligations it signed up to 23 years ago. About two weeks after Manaki Tangata was launched, the government struck a deal behind closed doors to support Te Puea after Paula Bennett met Huri Moana Dennis at a cafe. She promised to fast-track the families the marae was helping into suitable, affordable accommodation. But the gesture backfired after her office leaked details of a police investigation into Mr Dennis, a police officer for 30 years. Kia ora, good evening. The Social Housing Minister has apologised to the chair of Te Puea Marae. Today, Mrs Bennett says she had no knowledge of information being passed on. Well, I'll check that out. I don't know the details of that, and certainly, yeah, so I don't know. MP Phil Twyford says he finds it hard to believe the minister didn't know. Well, I would find it uh, hard to imagine that that would be the case. Paula Bennett has form. She uh, is accusing the social housing minister of trying to divert attention away from the problem of homelessness. After Paula Bennett... I believe it is a diversion tactic, a poorly planned and poorly played one, one that brings into disrepute the great work that they're doing to service... I have huge confidence in Paula, but there's a couple of things, isn't there? Firstly... When you get a minister under a little bit of pressure, either from the media or the opposition, you know, a combination of all those things, unfortunately it never seems to happen once or twos. You just get a lot of different things. Huri Moana Dennis says it was a low point, but he is surrounded by positive people. The man who has been nominated for New Zealander of the Year says he feels a sense of achievement, but the programme that has relied almost entirely on volunteers cannot continue. If we're doing this again next winter, we've all failed. Everyone. If Tapuya Memorial Marae has to open its doors again next winter, then everyone, including the government and families, we've all failed. Uh, if this isn't enough to put the flags up, red flags everywhere, to everyone, uh, you, me, everyone, uh, that there is an issue that needs to be, um, first of all, acknowledged, and then some real clever thinking about how uh, we, what we do to try and um, stop it from happening again. Uh, look, I... I I don't think there's been a lot of clever thinking about this. I, I really don't. There's no big strategy from end to end to deal with this. Uh, it has been very piecemeal. Uh, there is certainly no work plan or program that deals with, with Māori and Pacific families because they have been our biggest users here. If it's been such a success, why, why don't you carry on? Look, you must be the 150th person who, who's, who's asked me that and, and that's not a decision for me to make. Um, on my own for sure but um, look if we did the model we've got now would no longer be fit for purpose moving forward 
the, the model Mark II, if you want to call it, Manaki Tangata, is a lot smaller and a lot more intimate in terms of the service delivery to, to these whānau who would, who would come here. Look, we're just a better-looking office. We are way better-looking. The front door looks better. What you get when you go through the front door looks better. What you get when you leave is even better. Uh, but the way we deliver our service is, is the point of difference. Look, we're not short-circuiting any system they've got in the agencies. Um, there's, there's no shortcuts, there's no anything. It's just the way the service has been delivered. Um, people have been more relaxed. They've responded uh, the way they should have, uh, as opposed to being in the office. There's no queues, there's no appointments, there's no waiting lists, there's no frustrations. If you dealt with this issue properly, or vulnerable families, you would reduce Māori offending and victimisation, you would reduce dependency on health issues, you will reduce state social welfare dependency, you'll increase an uptake in, in education. You know, it's a no-brainer. You know, we just happen to have the same families coming through our door, specifically for a home, but they had a whole lot of other stuff, and we took that opportunity to try and address some of those things as well. The marae is closing its doors, the marquee tent that housed a dining room, the portable cabins sitting neatly in a row that gave people a roof over their heads and a bed, the makeshift offices for social workers are all gone. But the problem is not fixed. More stories have emerged in recent days at a nationwide homelessness inquiry being run by Labour, the Greens and the Māori Party. 2015 was a bad year for our son. Stress after getting the eviction notice caused multiple seizures and hospitalisation. We have all the paperwork to show from doctors, psychologists, hospitals of the state of health of our son had to endure after being evicted. He also went into a coma from a seizure, all because he was worried about where he was going to live. We lived in a 17-foot caravan that leaked, and I paid 400 yeah, 400 a week. There's people there paying 590 a week, substandard living. And there's cockroaches and it's dirty and horrible and there's no mobility toilet for my daughter. But I vowed and declared all my life I wouldn't live there because I didn't want to degrade my children to that status of living because I don't put my kids in that situation. You know what I mean? The Māori Party co-leader Marama Fox says the government's approach has been piecemeal and short-sighted. She says the marae stepped in to do what should be the government's job and highlighted a bureaucratic mess. They had uh, such a wealth of knowledge from doing this. One, they think that we should be streamlining the services, that Housing New Zealand and uh, WINS should be um, brought back together, that there's one place to go. Two, just the, the absolute idiocy of the bureaucracy um, in order to get uh, into a home. It was something like four phone calls, five meetings and a whole lot of uh, forms to fill out, which just seems ridiculous. Uh, and uh, three, bad decision-making um, by families that led them there. Should the marae have been doing this in the first place, though? Isn't this the government's job? That's absolutely right. It's the government's job. But actually, you know what? What I found from a witness scene um, going along to Tupuia is that New Zealand does not like this. And what the marae uh, was able to do was uh, become a focus for the generosity of Kiwis who just wanted to give um, so that they could show they, the support and eliminate homelessness. So all of us step up when uh, this type of disaster, and I believe it is the housing state of emergency, uh, disaster that's happened in New Zealand. 
Labour's Phil Twyford says he has been moved by stories of people stripped of their dignity and hope. He says government agencies like Work and Income and Housing New Zealand have a lot to learn from the Tapuia experiment. Those services could be delivered in a way that's much more tailored and relevant and accessible for Māori particularly. But the thing of the job of actually providing a roof, putting a roof over people's heads, providing housing, that's something I think for the government to do. Despite attempts to speak to the Minister for Social Housing for more than two weeks, Mrs Bennett only had time for a five-minute interview with Insight on possible solutions for homeless families. But she ruled out merging Housing New Zealand and Work and Income as a solution. I just don't think that will work. We've got an emerging um, community housing provider uh, that, that's really starting to grow, and you can see that with uh, transactions in Tauranga. Um, I can see it with the pipeline of new builds that are coming through from community housing providers. So it wouldn't work if you had the monopoly kind of um, too much in the, where we're purchasing, and essentially they would be able to, uh, to be dictating prices across the community housing providers. Is there a place for Marae providing shelter for homeless people? Well, there's a place for Māori to be more involved in social services. Um, and, there, and we've got some fantastic examples that have been happening in it up and down the country and for decades, quite frankly. Um, what is unusual is that it's being done in a city um, and at a time when it was most needed. But people are saying that in the end, Tapuia was doing the job that the government should be doing. Providing a roof over people. That's what other people were saying, but actually I don't think that it is all government. I think it's a matter of us, we're all in this together. If that's the case then, should should Marae be getting more money from the government? No, they get a lot of money from the government. How much did Te get for this? Uh, I don't have the figures in front of me, but um, certainly, uh, you know, they anything they kind of asked for, they got. Do you think that Te or any other marae will have to do the same thing again next winter? I hope not. Um, certainly, with what the work program that I've got going, um, and it's. Ex- and just so many different dimensions, right from emergency housing bed increases through to the supply that's coming through. Um, My plan is that you don't see that sort of thing happening next winter. So are you saying that there won't be any families that are forced to sleep in their cars and car parks? Uh, Not on a regular occurrence like it has been happening. I can't say what happens on a nightly, you know, there's always um, rare occurrences with something, but yes, I hope it's an incredibly rare occurrence. Is that because you'll have the emergency houses there that haven't been here this year? Yeah, that's right. So I'm just got, I'm just pulling a whole lot of different levers at the moment um, to really uh, a bring on new supply um, and and free up any available beds that there are. <laughs> Andrew Allen and Melissa Rewati, who lived in two cars with their five children for more than three weeks, are among those who have been helped by Te Puia. They finally have a roof over their heads and now hope to rent to buy so they can call it their own. We are actually lucky to to be in this house, to get this house, to be honest. Oh, yeah, um, you know, having this house was like Christmas to us because it's been two and a half years since we haven't had our own home. We've just been going from family to family. My kids, they felt really good sleeping in the bed instead of on the floor, oh, or yeah, sleeping yeah. in the back or sleeping at someone else's house. Yeah, they settled. Um, they go to school now. Now to at Manurewa High. Um, now they're beginning to like the school. Um, coming home happy, big smiles. Um, 
they go to the Super City Destiny's Church for boxing. They even rap with that as well, so it keeps them out of, out of trouble. The marae, named after Princess Te Puea Herangi, who adopted many orphan children, has stopped offering shelter to the homeless, but Manurewa Marae has stepped in with its four-night-a-week Poor Marie programme, meaning good night. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at InsightRNZ. Sharon Brett-Kelly wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by William Saunders. And always have Insight ready for a good listen and subscribe on iTunes.